This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Before jumping into today's show, I want to remind you that the Happy as a Mother podcast is now the MomWell podcast. While our name is changing, our mission remains the same to empower moms like you by providing the knowledge, tools, and support you need to navigate the challenges of motherhood. On the MomWell podcast, we understand that motherhood is hard, but access to care and psychoeducation shouldn't be. We're committed to putting moms back on the priority list. I want every one of you to know how truly grateful I am for your support. You have helped shape and grow this community with your listens, your reviews, and your participation and comments on social media. It's because of you that we've been able to grow and evolve the platform. And it's because of you that we're able to show up the way we do and help moms everywhere. With the launch of MomWell, we're working diligently to bring you even more resources, learning opportunities, and services than ever before. Thank you so much for being a part of the Happiest Mother community, and I can't wait for you to be a part of MomWell. You're listening to the MomWell podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Danae Barahona to the show. Danae is a therapist, author, and host of the Simple Families podcast. And I've invited Danae here today to discuss mental clutter. There is something about that term that just hits different, you know? We talk about the invisible load around here and the mental load, but when we talk about mental clutter, like that reaction that you have to clutter in your home and the overwhelm it can bring and the overstimulation that you can feel, when we describe mental clutter that way, it really helps us to visualize and understand just how this can impact us, how it truly feels. In this episode today, we talk about mental clutter through the lens of minimalism and discuss the ways that we can tune into our values to help reduce this mental clutter that we feel. This is a really interesting take and a different perspective on the invisible load as we often talk about it here. So let's get to it and hear my conversation with Danae. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Danae, thank you so much for taking the time to join our show today. We've been going back and forth to make this happen. So excited to have you here. First of all, just thank you for taking the time to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. You know, I've been following you online for some time, and I feel like so much of our work aligns. So I think this is going to be a great conversation. Being with people and carving out presence just for such intentional conversations, I feel like is so rare in our world and in my life, even frankly, as a business owner and all the things. So 
I love how that weaves into your approach of simplicity and how we'll weave that in today to finding slowness and presence in motherhood and in these moments, because I feel like, especially since the doors have opened back up a little bit more after COVID and people are really wanting to kind of revenge the time that was lost in a way, yeah. our schedules and our time and our lives have become so busy again that I think that it's nice for us to take this time together and just pause and reflect on some of the things we'll talk about today. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm curious. I have to know how you went from like your PhD and sort of this more academic environment to your platform and having your podcast. What's the evolution of your platform? Yeah. So I guess starting from the beginning of my career, I did a master's degree in social work and went right into the field working, doing more traditional child and family therapy worked for a long time in foster care, therapeutic foster care, working with teenagers with substance abuse issues, behavior challenges. And then I moved into working with kids with developmental disabilities, Hmm. especially kids on the autism spectrum. And that work really inspired me to go back to school. I had never thought I was going to go back, but I decided to go back to do my PhD in child development. And as I was Sort of wrapping up in the final year of my PhD program, I was pregnant with my second child Mm. and I was just kind of dabbling in minimalism, which fell into my lap. And I was writing for a mom's blog, a local mom's blog in my city, which was Dallas at that time. And I did a post on a capsule wardrobe. This was before capsule wardrobes were a thing. Mm -hmm. And it went wildly viral. And then I wrote a post on, well, the first post was why I got rid of my wardrobe. And then I did one, why I got rid of the toys, about scaling back on the toys. And that one went wildly viral. This is interesting. Like people really want to know about getting rid of stuff. And it was something that was near and dear to my heart because I have a lifelong history of clutter And at that time, I hadn't yet made the connection between mental health and the clutter in my home and the clutter in my mind. Right. But pretty quickly, as I started getting rid of the stuff, I started to see the impact and that connection, but also the connection between raising healthy, well-adjusted kids and having a positive relationship with the material objects in our environment, too, and how all of that is so intricately intertwined. Mm-hmm. So I kind of kind of stumbled into it and have been doing it ever since. Your perspective is so unique in that I see like organizers who, you know, focus on minimalism and clearing up the clutter and finding toys and systems that work for you and your family and then more therapy oriented pieces. But when I was going through your platform and seeing that you bring this minimalism and this slowness and this decluttering to how you parent as well, and our topic today to mental clutter and understanding that clutter in our lives is not just physical clutter. And a little light bulb went off for me because I hadn't framed it from that perspective before. So maybe to kick off our discussion a little bit, how would you define or describe mental clutter? Yeah, well, I learn best through examples. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. In my final years of my doctorate program, I was doing research on picky eating. I was a picky eater as a kid, and it was something that was important to me to understand better as I was raising my own kids. So I was knee deep in all the research on picky eating and feeding young children and, you know, what the importance of what you do in the early years 
to raise good eaters as they get older. Mm-hmm. And so much of that I thought was so valuable and I wanted to share with parents. But I'm like, but I'm writing about minimalism and I'm podcasting about minimalism. What is the connection between these things? Mm. And I, after reflecting, realized that, you know what? One of the biggest things that was coming up both in my work with moms and dads directly and in the literature around picky eating was that as parents, when it comes to feeding our kids, we're often doing too much, right? Mm. We're giving too many options. We are coaching too much. We're putting too much pressure on. There's so many pieces that are connected to us overdoing it and really our kids benefiting from us just stepping back and doing less and really growing through that process. So that was one of the pieces where I started to see that mental clutter come in because I don't know about you, Erica, but I hear so many parents who carry guilt around their kids not eating well Mm -hmm. and feeling like that is somehow reflective of their parenting skills when their kids don't eat well. It's a piece of weight, a piece of the mental load that weighs heavily on us. As you're speaking, it feels so counterculture what the norms of motherhood tell us we need to be, right? When I speak about the invisible load and how that weighs on the mental load in our mind, it's really woven into and rooted in some of these intensive mothering norms and ideals that tell us that we have to be and do it all. Mm -hmm. And that parenting has to be self-sacrificial and it has to be all encompassing and, you know, zap all of our resources and take over all of our routines. And that's the real common messaging So this minimalist approach to living and or parenting feels very counterculture from the norm that we're surrounded by. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think added into that intensive approach to parenting that we're seeing a lot now is this idea that we have to be perfect in doing that. Right. We have to do all the things well, and it all lies on our shoulders. And I remember back when I was, I was probably five or six and I was riding in the car and a song came on the radio and I asked my mom, I said, what, you know, what song is this? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, what do you mean you don't know? And it was this pivotal moment for me where I realized that my mom didn't know everything, Mm -hmm. right? That she wasn't perfect. And that really stayed with me for so many years and become part of really this vision that I have for my own kids and making sure that they don't think that I'm perfect. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And that I've worked really hard on that because I do think that when we're striving for that, when we're striving to get everything right and we're striving to be perfect parents, even if we don't realize it, that we're setting that model for our kids, that they need to do the same, Mm -hmm. that they don't have room for error and to make mistakes. So talking about our mistakes and showing our imperfections is something that's really important in our house. Mm-hmm. Help me understand if we back it up just one step before I go down the mental clutter questions is for those who might not know minimalism or the approach or some of the philosophy around it, maybe we just give a little bit of a background and then we'll jump in. Yeah. Minimalism is really about foregoing the things that aren't important to focus more on the things that are, to focus more on our values And that is something that, you know, over the years, it can be hard for us. We can lose sight of what is the most important to us. So there's a bit of peeling back kind of like an onion to figure out what inside each of us is valuable and important. And that may or may not be 
what was important to your parents or to your grandparents. You may be carving out a new path, especially I think when we think about bringing things into our lives, you know, think about the holiday season and birthdays and the acquisition of stuff that happens around those times. You know, as a parent thinking about how are you going to set up a dynamic to acquire new things that really reflects your own values, you know, whether it be sustainability or having a cleaner house, because that's what helps you feel better as a person and supports your mental health. Mm. But aligning your home and your life with what you want your future to be. Mm -hmm. I also think about minimalism through the perspective of time. I often will chat with mom friends and girlfriends about the pressure to put kids in all the things. We sign them up for hockey. I feel like it's a Canadian rite of passage for these boys to learn how to skate. And that's a commitment. Right? (laughs) And I had no idea the commitment we were getting ourselves into. They don't give you the schedule, et cetera, ahead of time. 7 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings, two different arenas. We're going in different directions. And I was like, this is not what we want for our schedule, right? Like it doesn't feel aligned. It feels too busy. And so there were pieces about it. We'll see the commitment through and the children are enjoying it, but we'll find an activity that does fit more in line with how we want the pace and routine and rhythm of our life to be. And so I see that minimalism in not just how we care for our physical space, but also how we set up the rhythms and routines of our lives. And then also how we approach our parenting as you speak a lot about as well. Right. Well, because what is the outcome of a busy schedule where you feel overwhelmed like that is that it has an impact on a parent's mental health. And when you're feeling stressed out and overwhelmed, that's how you're showing up as a parent. Mm. And, you know, that's impacting your relationship with your kids. So I think there's the cost benefit analysis, right? That, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just like, let's put the happiness of our kids first, because if the happiness of your kids is costing your happiness then that is the cost there is that they're going to be impacted by the decline of your mental health in that process. Mm -hmm. Which I think, again, is a very counter the norm belief Mm -hmm. because we think that we've got to sacrifice our needs in order to please those around us without realizing that we are like an essential asset in our home. And if we burn ourselves out, you know, it has a ripple effect just like it would for any other member of the family being burnt out or having challenges, right? So really important to factor our needs into the activity schedule, the planning, and not just our children's social or whatever needs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Mental clutter like hit me. Like that was a word that just like, I felt it and I don't know what I felt, but I felt it. So like, what do we put in that category? When you think about mental clutter, like what goes in there in that bucket? Yeah. Well, so I taught a course for probably five years called The Mental Unload. And in that program, I've worked with thousands of women at kind of unpacking what exactly that looks like, what is in the mental load. And one of the first things that we do, well, we do a big brain dump where we just write down everything going on in our brains so we can put it on paper and see it. And then we divide it up into three piles. We do things that you need to execute, things that you need to plan, and then things that you're worrying about. Hmm. And I think that perspective is really eye-opening for a lot of women because I think we assume that mental clutter is this growing to-do list of all these things that you have to accomplish day in and day out. But the reality is that there's also mental clutter that involves our worries 
and other things going on that add a lot of weight. Mm. One example of this is the weight of a diaper change, right? It takes like a minute to do a diaper change and the task itself is not that heavy. However, if you're feeling particularly resentful about your partner, right? Your partner has been traveling for a week and they got back and they're sitting next to you on the sofa and the baby needs a diaper change and your partner didn't get up to do it and you have changed the last 45 diapers and you feel like your partner should do it, then all of a sudden the weight of the diaper change has changed. Mm. It is very, very heavy because of that resentment that is attached to the task. So I think it's bigger than just the to-dos, right? I think that the state of our mental health and the worries and the expectations that we place on ourselves are very much intertwined with the tasks on our to-do list. Mm-hmm. I feel like I just had a little light bulb moment because I know that not all tasks are weighted equally in motherhood, right? And often the mental load isn't even so much about the task as it is the invisible anticipating and monitoring that goes on before the physical task itself. Mm-hmm. But what you're describing is something that I don't think I've clearly called out before, which is that a task that may seemingly be simple one day could feel excruciatingly heavy the next. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And factoring that in, like capacity could be a part of that, sleep deprivation, like you said, partner traveling, the emotional state of our relationship. Simple tasks aren't necessarily so simple and I would say I completely agree that the weight of them changes depending on our mental load, our physical load, and our overall well-being. Yeah. And, you know, I think the same goes for our kids too, right? Mm. Like some days they can put their shoes on all by themselves and it's no problem. And the other days it's just the hardest thing ever. And, you know, I think our kids also, you know, they approached tasks with their own weight based on what's going on in their own lives too. And I always try to remind myself of that. Such a valid point. How many times have I either thought or even said out loud, like we do this every day? (laughs) Exactly. Literally, you did it this morning. You did it yesterday. We can do this. Why is this so hard? Right. But it's so true that the weight of that task for them, given their little world and what's going on has changed for them in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when thinking about mental clutter, obviously we want to clean it up. We don't want to live in a chaotic brain. (laughs) Those of us with ADHD, it's kind of a bit of a life sentence, but there are ways to understand ourselves and there are ways to set boundaries, et cetera, with this clutter. So how do we go about decluttering, I guess? Is that even like a real possibility? Yeah. Well, for me personally, writing it all down, and I like to think about this kind of like a sample where, you know, set a timer for an hour, write everything down that's on your mind in that hour, everything that comes to mind, Mm. and take a look at it and see what's in there. And I think sometimes that will surprise you, right? There's some things and I always tell women that I'm working with, you know, there are things that are going to surprise you, things that you're not going to write down Mm. or not going to want to write down because they feel a little crazy, But, you know, write them anyways. When you see them on paper and you're like, wow, really? Was I really thinking about that? Was I really worried about that? Is that really valid? Is that possible in my life? You know, those sort of things. Like, you know, I used to always have this worry that my husband was going to get into a car accident on the way home from work. And I would call him. And this was when I was postpartum with my second. And I would call him when he was supposed to be on his drive home. And If he didn't answer, then I was pretty sure that was it. Like he just, he was gone. (laughs) Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there was a car accident and he was gone. And what I had done was in this worry, I had created the idea that I could control, somehow control the outcome by my phone calls. Mm. But, you know, when you write that down on paper, it's like, you can very well see that that's something that is completely beyond your control. Right. And by, you know, carrying that weight, like in some way you can control the outcome by, you know, hearing the voice of your partner on the other end of the line. I think that you can see that, you know, there are some things that you can control and there are some things that you cannot. And those things that you cannot, can you let go of those if you have been carrying them around? Mm-hmm. So I think writing it down, that really helps me. A couple times a year I do that is I put it all onto paper. And I do think of it like a roller coaster. There are times where I'm feeling more mental clutter and then there are times when I'm feeling lighter. And when it feels heavy and I write it all down, kind of like bullets or on individual note cards, and I can see what's coming up the most often, I find that I can take a closer look to see if I can eliminate some of those worries or hand off some of those tasks. Yeah. But I think most importantly is asking for support. You know, I think that we're coming off the pandemic, we're in this tricky time where many of us survived, many working moms survived without childcare. And there's this dynamic that's been created that maybe we can just do it. Maybe we can just work full-time or even part-time and have the kids at home. And I think that expectation we're placing on ourselves, it's scary, I think, for women to be trying to do it all like that. So, mm-hmm. And thinking that others are doing it mm-hmm. all, like feeling like when they look around, everybody else right. is doing it. I must be, you know, flawed or failing or not right. good enough in some way that I can't keep up. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. 
The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's zocdoccom slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the things that you're describing and writing it down, I kind of had this visual or this thought of like, okay, when we have a problem with our like physical body, we'll go and like take a blood sample to get a snapshot of what is going on in our body at that moment, right? Yeah. So when we're having troubles with our thoughts or with our brain or with the volume or the clutter or the vibe we're getting as a result of the thinking that's going on, I love the idea of carving out a time to be a little scientist and observe what goes through, even just like distancing yourself from it as though it's on a screen and you're sitting on a bench watching it, observing curiously, just as a scientist would, this sample of what your thought life looks like. And as you said, I'm sure that it will be surprising the things that come up because how often do we take the time to really check in with ourselves in that way. Yeah. Well, so many moms that I would ask early on when I started down this journey, you know, I would ask, well, what is the heaviest thing on your mental load? And they would just say everything. And I said, well, can you break it down? No, it's just everything. And it felt a little bit like the kid that has taken all the Play-Doh colors and mixed them up into this brown mushy ball where everything is just really enmeshed and you can't really make out the contents of it. And as a result, if you don't know exactly what's overwhelming you, it's going to be very hard for you to ask for support from anyone else in your life if you can't articulate what it is that is so heavy. It's such a valid, valid point because oftentimes if there is help or there is support available, I recently did an episode on when family doesn't show up for us after baby and in the postpartum period. And a lot of that conversation actually surfaced around, like if we don't know our needs and can't communicate them, there's like a mismatch in expectations of how we need help and to be supported. Right. So I think being able to spend that time, take that sample of your thoughts, jot them down and do a little, like put them in buckets or categories even, right? Like, is this about children's safety? Is this about relationship and health and well-being of our marriage or relationship, partnership? Maybe this is about work. Like put them in some buckets to see where these thoughts are really flowing from. And then from there, once we've got them a bit organized, I think about thoughts as needing boundaries, right? Like I think that 
there are ways for us to put some parameters or structure to this. Would you say, and how would you suggest we do that? Yeah, well, I think we need to be aware of our thoughts, which really is the essence of a mindfulness practice, Mm. is noticing the thoughts when they come up. And I think that even if you've dabbled a little bit in meditation, it's hard to notice when those thoughts keep coming up for you. So I think that would be my first suggestion is to try to start in a very small way even to develop a mindfulness practice so that you can start noticing your thoughts Mm. when they come up. And I think that awareness piece is really the first step, noticing them, becoming aware of them. Mm -hmm. And then I take mindfulness to a bit of a different place in grounding techniques and stuff. So if I find that I'm swooped up in a big, you know, mama bear worry of sorts and it's all I want to think about and it's all I'm preoccupied with and my body is starting to react and my heart is starting to beat, I will do mindfulness in the form of grounding myself in my physical environment and trying to pull myself out of that mind-wandering space and into more of what is physically around me. That might even be like getting outside, shifting my physical environment. Right. Because I think that to some degree, we cannot control our thoughts, right? Like I cannot control the intrusive thoughts that pop into my brain on any given day, but I can control and I do have a responsibility, I would say, for how long I stay there or like what I do then with that thought. And this takes practice and skill and time and potentially a therapist. And it's definitely not an easy thing, but there are skills and tools to be learned there. I would say that help us to move through these distressing thoughts more quickly. Right. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Okay. And how about, here's a really common one that I hear all the time. Like I'm just trying to sit after the kids (laughs) have gone to bed and I just, the, the clutter in the house, or I see everything and all of the things I have to do pop into my brain. Do you have any thoughts around how to try our best, I guess, to prevent these things from interfering into leisure time or other time where we don't want them to be entering? Yeah. So I think if it's the stuff, the physical stuff in our houses that's starting to overwhelm us, then that's usually a sign that we need to scale back and declutter And I get a lot of people asking, well, how much is too much? How many toys is too many toys? Hmm. I think it's whenever we start to feel overwhelmed, that's too much. It's very individual. You know, if you live in a small house and your kids have 20 toys, that might feel like too much. If you live in a large house and your kids have 20 toys, it might feel, that's a little tongue twister there, 20 toys. (laughs) (laughs) Then it might feel just fine. So I think that, you know, at the heart of minimalism, it's not about the number, it's about How does it feel to be in your space? Does it feel comfortable? Does it feel overwhelming? And if you feel like you have too much stuff and you feel overwhelmed and overstimulated, there's a very good chance that your kids probably feel the same way. So if you're hanging on to all the toys and all that stuff for the sake of your kids, remind yourself that your kids actually may benefit from the calm and the peace and the cleanliness even more than you do. Mm. Because we know that kids need a decluttered, cleaner space in order to really thrive. And there's research to support that. They looked at classrooms that have a lot of things hanging on the walls, a lot of decorations, and then just more of a bare, clean classroom and showed that kids can focus better in the spaces that don't have as many distractions. So Hmm. I think, you know, if you think about play as their work and that kids learn through play, um, we think about how we can make our houses a place that is conducive to that. And that doesn't necessarily mean having all the things for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
You had said on your journey, you had made this connection between mental health and clutter. And I'm curious, just maybe some of the things that you've learned, maybe even just personally or how how the two connect from your perspective. Between mental health and clutter? Well, so I decluttered my whole house after a lifelong history of clutter. I was the kid that my mom was always yelling at me to clean up my room my whole childhood until I went to college. And then my my roommate was yelling at me to clean up our room. <laughs> and then I <laughs> uh, moved in with my partner husband a few years after college. And then he was dealing with my mess. And then once I found minimalism and realized that no organizational system was going to help keep my life tidy, that I simply needed fewer things, Mm. then I was able to finally declutter to the point where I had enough things that I can actually manage these things that I have. But then I still felt overwhelmed, even once my house was tidy and decluttered. And that's when I realized that it is more than just the stuff that the calendar and, you know, my perspective on parenting and the idea that I've got to be the best mom, the perfect mom, do all the things, be all the things, show up at all the things. And that's when I realized that those perceptions weren't necessarily going to be the best things for my kids either. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about less being very freeing, right? Being a way to maybe attune to your values more and live more, I don't know, purposeful or intentional. I don't know what the word is there exactly, but the idea of less, which again, is counterculture, everything right. we ever see in any advertisement or media or things like that. Right. Yeah. I recently, about a year ago, I went through a, a child anxiety training, looking at how we as parents can help support our kids with anxiety. And as we've come out of the pandemic, I've started taking child and adolescent clients again mostly because there's such a need after the pandemic. Mm. So I'm split right now, sort of 50-50 between working with parents and working with children and adolescents. But I've seen a lot of child clients that are afraid of going to the bathroom by themselves or afraid of going upstairs by themselves. And the sort of default response as a parent is, you know, if your kid is afraid of something, you do it with them, right? Like you just go to the bathroom with them. You just go upstairs with them if they're afraid. And what the research tells us about child anxiety is that, you know, every time we go to the bathroom with our kid who's afraid to be in the bathroom by themselves, that anxiety takes hold a little bit deeper. Mm. The roots grow a little bit more. And that what our kids actually really need is they need us to give them the confidence and to encourage them that they have the power within themselves to handle that anxiety and go to the bathroom by themselves. And by doing that, we're actually communicating by saying, no, like I believe in you. I'm 100% confident you can handle going to the bathroom by yourself, that we're sending them the message that we believe in them that they can do it. And that actually supports their anxiety more than us going to the bathroom with them. And that's counterintuitive, right? Mm -hmm. The supportive parents just goes and they help to calm the fear. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the research says that actually the way to support the anxiety is to step back and let them go on their own. And it's interesting to think in how many ways this sort of less is more ideology comes up in parenting time and time again. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of awareness. It takes a lot of, I want to say self-control, like boundary setting with ourselves, right? Because when my child is dysregulated, 
I want to swoop in and soothe because I get dysregulated when they're dysregulated. Like it's hard for me to sit and, you know, maybe let them work it through by themselves or whatever the situation is. So whether it is physical clutter, whether it's mental clutter or just an overactive involvement or not enmeshment, what's the word I'm looking for, but like intensively being involved with my children. Mm -hmm. I see those as needing to develop some ability to set boundaries with maybe physical stuff or with ourselves to be able to hold ourselves back a little bit, build a little bit of tolerance to give some space for them to try and rebuild the structure before we swoop in and fix it type of idea. Yeah. Well, the mother as the fixer, that I think is something that is impairing us in some ways is that, you know, showing up and feeling like we need to coach and fix all the things for our kids when really our kids, a lot of times just need us to show up and hold space for them. You know, I know this is really hard for you. It's okay to feel sad. That's that line. That's a self-compassion mantra from Kristen Neff. Mm. That line is so much more effective and useful most of the time rather than, well, next time you should do this, or maybe you should have done this. And the, the coaching that a lot of us tend to want to go to, you know, and remind yourself of that the next time your kid is dysregulated. Can you hold space for them and show them compassion rather than trying to coach them out of it? I think there's so much value in that. And it feels relieving in a way. Like you talked about that really impactful moment where you're like, oh my goodness, my mom doesn't know everything, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that being able to take that pressure off ourselves that we don't have to have every answer, we don't have to handle every situation perfectly, but that we just need to show up, you know, in these moments. And there's a lot that can go with that. And we have some unlearning to do at times for sure. Right. But to have all the answers and to have to do it perfectly, not a requirement or prerequisite here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And our kids don't expect that out of us. We put that expectation on ourselves, I think. But I don't think that our kids expect us, nor do they need us to be perfect. I actually think they need to see us make mistakes. Last year, my daughter and I were at a cookie decorating party around the holidays, and she had spent the whole evening putting her heart into decorating cookies, frosted sugar cookies with sprinkles. Mm. And we were getting ready to leave the party. And I had the box of cookies in my hands. And I was in the kitchen saying goodbye to everyone. And I dropped the box, flipped the whole box of cookies over on the floor. And they were all face down, just ruined. And I was mortified because I just, I was like, oh my gosh, like she's going to be so upset. She worked so hard on these cookies. But you know what? She bent down and picked up those cookies and didn't skip a beat. Mm. And then we walked home and then she dropped the cookies on the way home (laughs) and grass stuck in them. And it was just this really beautiful moment that, you know, I feel like that was one of the moments where I went from feeling like I'm the worst mom ever to, wow, I'm really doing something right. right. Like if I'm raising a kid that can forgive me and realize that, you know, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes and I drop things and then she can drop things and I don't get upset with her and just kind of seeing those imperfections on both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Or when I hear the words that I say to my children, they say them back to me or they say them yeah. to each other. Right. Like one of the brothers will walk up to the other and say, it's okay. It just looks like you're having a hard time right now. Oh, Maybe right. we just take a little breather and then we'll come back and whatever. Right. And I'm like, oh, my yeah. heart. Like, that's so sweet. <laughs> but that has become their internalized voice. That's become their internalized language. And then they can extend that to others. So yeah. 
it's really important work and it does feel very freeing and it's new to a lot of us. So it doesn't mean it's easy to go through pairing back some of these things and learning to, whether it's embrace slowness or to change the rhythms and routine in your home or whatever angle, like is the pain point in your life as you're listening. But there is a reward for putting in the effort up front, I would say. Right. Planting the seeds. Yeah. And so for those who are listening and they're really intrigued by the idea of minimalism or decluttering, whether it is their life or their mind, where can they learn more from you and how can they connect with you? Yeah, you can go to my website, simplefamilies.com. I'm on Instagram at simple underscore families.com, but I have minimized my social media presence a lot in the past year, which has been amazing for my mental health. So Mm -hmm. I'm only on intermittently, but the place that I am every week is on my podcast, which is the Simple Families podcast, which you can find wherever podcasts are. Yeah, covering all kinds of these topics. So we'll link all of that in the show notes so people can directly click through to you. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Absolutely. I really love Danae's perspective on this topic. It really puts a tangible feeling to how this invisible load can impact us and feel. Physical clutter and things around the house, you can shove in a dresser or put in a cupboard or put it in a basket or a bucket and kind of hide and conceal it. But mental clutter, there's no escaping it. It goes with you wherever you go. If this topic really resonated with you and you find that mental clutter is something that you wrestle with and struggle with, I encourage you to check out our MomWell therapy support. We are so excited to be serving both Canada and the US now. Head to momwell.com to learn more and see if we've got a therapist in your area. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by Mary Beth Somich of Your Journey Through to discuss all things work-life, mom-life balance. You do not want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.